0: Good afternoon. I wonder if you guys can help me out uh, as we get started here. At Christmas time, what is your favorite place to go see lights? Your favorite light display in New York City? Okay. Say that uh, I heard Rockefeller Tree. I don't know if I heard Macy's or not, um, but I definitely heard Diker Heights, which is my favorite. Uh, excuse me my wife's favorite spot to go see lights. She, she actually banned me from going with the family this year because last year I had such a bad attitude going to Diker Heights. I remember it very clearly. Uh, I was coming home from work. All the kids were waiting on me. It was pouring the rain, and it was freezing cold. We jump in my van, and there was terrible traffic. So I'm white-knuckled on the road, and I'm, you know, I'm like so mad. We get to Diker Heights, and there is no parking. So I drop the kids and my wife off, and they begin, and, you know, they're oohing and awing, like, wow, whoa, whoa, wonderful, beautiful, and I am just like so mad. <laughs> I get out of the van, and of course, it doesn't get any better. It's so crowded, you can't even walk. In the most popular houses, you can't even get near them. There's so many people everywhere, and there's all these bright, beautiful lights all around, and I completely miss them. More than that, I even despised them. Ah, I hate these stupid lights. I had to get out in the freezing cold and the pouring rain. I had to drive through the traffic, park the van, get out, pretend to put on a fake smile, take the photo, get back in the van, and do it all over again. And maybe you feel that way. Not necessarily about Diker Heights, or maybe you do. But maybe around Christmas you feel that way. I know all the lights are there. Everyone else seems to be having so much fun. Everyone else seems to be so happy. I'm not feeling it. I don't see it. And if you feel that way this Christmas, what we're reading in the Gospel of John will relate to you. John is describing a similar scene to what I just described at Diker Heights. He's saying, hey, When the coming of Jesus, a bright light shone into the world. And we know that. We know. We've read probably in the Gospel of John where it says Jesus is the light of the world. But John actually takes it one step further and he said it's not just that the light shone into the darkness. It was that people missed it. And more than actually people just missing it, there was a whole bunch of people who even despised it. So the question that I have for us this afternoon is, if Christmas is about light shining in the darkness, how do we recognize it and how do we experience it? Not just know about it, not, ju- not just to have heard about it, but to experience the true light that has come into the world through Jesus. And furthermore, if we receive that type of light, how do we reflect that light to our community? So let's read in John chapter one. John chapter one is where we've been the past couple of weeks. This is what the apostle John says. In the beginning was the word, And the word was with God, and the word was God. Let me pause for just a moment here. We have to remember what John is doing. John's account of Christmas is very different than the other gospels. There are no wise men. There are no shepherds. There's no star of Bethlehem. There's no stable. There's no manger. What John wants to do is zoom out of the picture and show us a cosmic view of what is happening. He wants to zoom out all the way to before creation when there the eternal God, the eternal wisdom, eternal love, eternal unity of God was there even before creation existed. In the beginning, John says, was the word. And what's amazing at Christmas, he says, is the word took on flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 2. full of grace and truth. You see, John is using a very common metaphor in the scriptures, light and darkness. Darkness refers to evil and death and brokenness and sin and all the things that spiral from that. Light refers to life and truth and beauty and goodness. And John is saying all of the results of the darkness we're well familiar with both in the world and inside of our own hearts, but into that darkness, a light from the outside has shone in. Not a light that we conjured up from within, not a light where we kind of looked deep, deep, deep down and we found a spark. No, a light that's shone from outside of us into the darkness. And from this text today, I want to draw out what that light looks like and then at the end, apply it. How do we experience that light? First, we're gonna see that the light of Jesus is the light of truth. When the lights are on, you can see clearly, but when the lights are off, you stumble in the darkness. When the lights are off, you can hide, but not when the lights are on. It's like me walking to the bathroom in the middle of the night, right? It's a hallway I've walked a thousand times, in the daylight without any problems. But at night, for some reason, I'm always stepping on a Lego, or a block, or a toy, or I'm running into a wall, right? Because in the darkness, even though that hallway is very familiar, you, 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 your toe, your knee, your arm, seems to find danger and brokenness. It's the, it's the way John describes the light of Jesus. It's really interesting. He, he doesn't say, hey, the light of Jesus is bright, though it was, or big, or bold. He says it was the true light, verse nine. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, this is interesting. If John is describing Jesus as the true light, he's assuming that there are other false lights, lights that will draw our attention away from the true light. Light that we think will fill our darkness. Light that we think will combat the lies that we wrestle with in our souls. And I think we all know this to be true. Every single day we are tempted to follow different lights. The light of distraction that shines from our smartphones every day. Man, my reality is too hard, I'm too stressed out, I'm too tired, maybe I could just relax for a moment. We are tempted to follow the light of power or money or fame. And these lights tell us, hey, if you would just let this light, if you had this light, this would fix your darkness. This is the solution to your darkness. Just let it shine. If you just had blank, and for all of us, it's something different. If you just had this one thing, this one relationship, this one salary, this one bonus, this one job, this one apartment, then the darkness would be gone. You would really see things clearly. John says Jesus is the true light, the light that speaks a better word into our darkness, the light that can actually bring clarity to our lives in the world that we live in. Through him, we can know who we are why we're here, and what we should be doing. I was listening to an interview the other day by a scholar named M.T. Wright. He is one of the most respected New Testament scholars in the world, a very famous apologist for Christianity. He's currently at Oxford University. And he was talking about his new book that he wrote on the book of Romans and all these scholarly things. And at the end of the interview, uh, the guy just simply asked him, all right, Dr. Wright, how do you know it's true? Like, how do you know all this is true? And he said, He said, Well, because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Well, how do I know that to be true? And he said, Well, there's two parts of it. You can go and you can look at the historical evidence, right? There there are things that you can read, things that you can study, and I encourage you to go and do that. But he said, There's another reality. He says, The the truth of Jesus' resurrection also makes sense of the world that I live in. It perfectly explains my reality and the reality I see all around me. And he quoted C.S. Lewis. I know I quote C.S. Lewis too much, but this is him quoting him, not me. Uh, You guys noticed. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. He's saying the light of Jesus brings clarity. It's like the dawning of the sun. And when I put the resurrected Christ in the middle of my thinking, in the middle of my worldview, so many other things begin to make sense. Who I am begins to make sense. What the world is like begins to make sense. The brokenness starts to make a little more sense. My purpose makes more sense. Love makes more sense. My vocation makes more sense. And so Wright says, yes, go look at the evidence, but also would you just look around? Put Christ at the center of your thinking and just see if it doesn't make sense of your world. So I wonder this afternoon, where do you need clarity? Where do you need wisdom? Where are you looking for truth? What other lights have been drawing your attention away from the true light? Second, we see the light of Jesus is the light of beauty. Remember in this passage that John is actually bringing us back to creation, and he's showing us the creative beauty of what Christ did. He's saying the light is connected to creativity, is connected to astounding beauty and awe and wonder. You see, in the dark, everything looks the same. In the dark, nothing is beautiful. Nothing is distinct. Imagine that you are at the Met in the middle of the night. It's midnight. There's no external uh, light from outside. There's no emergency floodlights. It's pitch black in the middle of the Met. Although you are standing in the midst of some of the most astounding beauty in the world, it would look no different than if you were standing in a janitor's closet. Because in the darkness... Everything looks the same. Darkness is darkness, regardless of where you are. And John is saying, Jesus is the creator God of all beauty. And yes, our world has been marred and broken by sin, but Jesus is still shining his beautiful light. And the light of Jesus reveals the beauty around us, the beauty of his creation, the beauty in people, the beauty of God if we are just willing to stop and see it. I was reminded this week of a book by a guy named Anthony Doerr. He, he wrote um, a book called All the Light We Cannot See, which is a fantastic title for a book. It sold over 15 million copies. It spent 200 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, and I won't spoil it for you because I haven't finished reading it yet. But I do want to talk about the title. In an interview, they were asking him, they said, man, that's a great title, All the Light We Cannot See. Tell us about the title. And he said, there's two sides of it. One, I'm talking about all the wavelengths that are happening all around us that we can't see. So he was talking about the war, and he said, hey, radio waves were used for destruction, and they were used for liberation. You can't see any of them, but they're very powerful. And He said, that's the one level, but on a deeper level, all the light we cannot see refers to all the beauty around us, even in the midst of some of the greatest darkness. Even in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our frustration and disappointment, if we were to just pause, if we could just see things clearly, we see that even there, there is beauty, there's kindness, there's goodness, and there's sacrifice. There's people doing the work of the kingdom. There's signs of God's grace even in the midst of the darkness. And if it wasn't the title of a great book, it would be a great title for the Christmas message in John. All the light we cannot see. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Think of that very first Christmas. You had Jesus Christ perfect beauty and glory and he was there in a manger among animals in a stable in a middle of nowhere town he was not in the centers of power or knowledge he wasn't in a major metropolitan area he wasn't where the religious leaders hung out he was in a stable in the middle of nowhere with his teenage unwed mother it wasn't the way to start a life of beauty and glory Yet the Gospels make it very clear that though they didn't recognize it, that was the picture of beauty. As Tolkien says, all that is gold does not glitter. Jesus did not glitter in the way the religious establishment wanted. They missed it. They missed the beauty because they were consumed with something else are we willing to slow down? Are we willing to stand in awe? Are we willing to let the good news of Jesus grip our hearts again in such a way that makes us just sit down in wonder and worship? Or are we so familiar with the good news, it's become old news? Christmas, Jesus, the manger, the nativity, the lights, the trees, the presents, I've been there, I've done that. I've sang the song. I've lit the candles. I've read the verses. I've done the blocks and the podcast. But have we let our souls be stirred up with affection and wonder? Because it's not just useful news or helpful news. It is good news, beautiful news for us. So I wonder, this Christmas, would you, are you willing to let it stir your soul again? Maybe Christmas this year is not just for your family. You're facilitating it for them. Maybe it's for you. Finally, the light of Jesus is the light of life. Notice that John connects light and life. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Obviously, this is a biblical idea uh, that where there is darkness, there is death. So where there is light, there is life. But we also see this in science, don't we? Think of photosynthesis. You probably learned this in middle school, maybe elementary school. That light gives life to plants. The light shines on the green plants, and the plants use that light for fuel and energy to grow. And it's like John is saying the good news of Jesus is kind of like that. Where there is darkness and where there is death, the good news of Jesus shines into that darkness and the light brings life. And it shines into all, for all people into all parts of our lives, all the places that are dead and broken. And here's the problem. Most of us like to keep the light on a surface level. We have two sides to our lives, two layers. We have the surface layer that we show to the world. And then we have the below the surface layer that we try to hide from the world. The surface layer is what we share in our conversations in the lobby. How you, how you, how's your week going? How are you doing? How are you doing? Good, my kids did that. I did this. Here's what happens at work. See you later. This is what we share on social media. This is what we put on our resumes, the surface level stuff. And the general message of surface level stuff is this is me. I'm capable. I'm smart. I'm funny. I'm attractive. I'm nearly flawless, as far as you know. But of course, in an authentic, down-to-earth type of way. Below the surface, there's another reality. It's where we hide our not-so-perfect Self. It's where we keep our wounds, anxieties, anger, jealousy, despair, shame, regret, insecurity. It's where we keep those habits that we really don't want anyone to see. It reminds me of what Stanford professors have called the duck syndrome. So Stanford professors, they see some of the best and the brightest students from around the world coming to their university. And he said, they're all, and the professors got together and said, they're all like ducks. On the surface, they're calm and cool and beautiful. They glide across the water with seeming um, perfection, ease, no problems, no worries. But they said, as we began to get to know the students and actually see what's going on below the surface, we see those duck legs. And they are just frantically flapping and swimming just to stay alive, to maintain the image, to move forward, to make it look easy. Under the surface, we don't want other people to see it. And honestly, under the surface, we don't want to look at it ourselves, and we don't want God there either. We avoid it. We stuff it down. We don't want to deal with it. But what we see with the light of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus is that his light shines into those very places. Not just our surface level self, our below the surface level self, not just the calm cool that we project on the surface of the water, but the frantic, stressed out, chaotic that's under the water. The stuff we avoid, the stuff that we do not want to deal with. He wants to bring life into the dead places, light into the dark places, healing into the hurting places, restoration into the brokenness, if we will let him. in Jesus was life, and the light was the light of all people, all the way to our core. Daniel Steele is a pastor writing in the 1700s. A pastor, a guy who regularly taught the word, shared the word, that was his job. He was a professional Christian, He said that there was a whole season, 30 years of his Christianity almost, where he felt like he had God in some parts, but not at all the parts. And this is his recount of what happened when he actually let the light shine. He says this, in my previous Christian experience of 28 years, there always seemed to be a vacancy unfilled, a spot which the plowshare of the gospel had not touched. My nature had not been thoroughly subsoiled and thrown up to the light, in the warmth of the sun of righteousness. I loved Jesus, studied his character with increasing admiration, preached him with delight, but there was always a painful sense that my love was fractional, the response of only a part of my being. Maybe you feel that way. But then the heavenly tenant of my soul has changed all of this. He has unlocked every apartment of my being and filled and flooded them all with light of his radiant presence you see the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it that is true of our world but that is true of our lives as well that there is no darkness that we have pushed down in our soul the light of jesus cannot shine its healing power to his light brings life whole full abundant light all the way down So here's what we learned, that his light is true, his light is beautiful, his light brings life. The question for us is where do you need the light of Jesus today? I want us to notice one last verse as we close. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, up to this point in the Gospel of John, everything has been in the past tense. Jesus was, Jesus was. Now we see for the first time, Jesus is shining still. We should underline the second S in shines, it's very significant. You see, when John was writing, many people thought the light of the Gospel had gone out, they had seen Jesus crucified. This young, promising religious leader, dead at 32, at the hands of the Romans. Surely the light was gone. No, John says, the light still shines in the darkness, and still the darkness has not overcome it. Throughout many times, throughout history, there have been moments where we look and say, the light is gone. Look at the brokenness. Look at the war. Look at the pain. Look at the hurt. Look at the trauma. But as the light went out in one place, thousands of lights came up in other places places. The gospel flame could not be put out. The light still shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Or maybe you're in here today, and you look around at our current world, and you say the light's gone out. We read about every single day the pain, the devastation, the brokenness, the hurt locally, in our city, in our state, in our country in our world you see the light has gone out maybe you look at your own life and you say I don't know if it could get any darker I don't know if this could get any worse I don't know if I could go through another loss we'll hear the words of John to you as a promise the light still shines in the darkness and still the darkness does not overcome it and the darkness never will so what do we do Well first we have to recognize the light. The light metaphor is an interesting one in the scriptures because you can't receive light, you can't control light, you can't grab the light. You simply put yourself in the path of light. You open the door and the light comes flooding in. You slow down. You acknowledge the darkness, the pain, the brokenness, the sin, and you turn to the light. Uh, last summer, I read the memoir of Philip Yancey. Philip Yancey was probably one of the most prolific, is one of the most pro- prolific writers in the past 50 years as far as Christian uh, books. Um, but he wrote a memoir. It's called Where the Light Fell. And he said, this was the book that I was put on planet Earth to write. And it was a story of his upbringing, the pain of his childhood, the pain uh, that came from a broken home and a broken religious systems that he grew up in. And it tells all these different cracks that he says were in his story. But he says, actually, those very cracks were the very places where the light fell. He just had to stop. He had to acknowledge the darkness and turn to the light. And I wonder if that's true in our stories this afternoon. If some of us need to go to the places we don't like to go, and we need to recognize some of the darkness, and maybe those are the very cracks where the light wants to fall, the light of Christ, the light of resurrection power, the light of grace, the light of love wants to fill those areas, even the most broken areas. So we recognize the light, and then we reflect the light. Once we've turned to the light, we are humbly able to reflect it. If you notice in our text, uh, John the Apostle goes out of his way to talk about John the Baptist. Verse 8, he says, John was not the light. In case anybody was confused, John, great guy, not the light. But he came to be witness about the light. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. He was preaching in the desert. He was baptizing people. He was preparing the way for Jesus. But later, so John the Apostle says, yeah, John, not the light. For sure, not the light. Jesus was the light. But look how Jesus describes John later in the gospel. He says this. John was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So wait a minute, John was not the light, but now Jesus says John was a burning, shining lamp. A lamp is not a light in and of itself, it's a bearer of that light. And that's the point that John is making. When the light shines on us, it's clear that light is coming not from us, that light is coming from Jesus, but I am one reflecting the light that I'm receiving to the world around me for the glory of God. I want to be a reflection of the light of Jesus to my neighbors, to my family, to my kids, to my coworkers, to my friends. I want to be a reflection of the light of Christ. And they might say, man, you are bright. You're like, no, no, I'm not the light. I am for sure not the light. Jesus is the light. I'm just trying to position my life in such a way to reflect that light to others. Years ago, I read a book by Cormac McCarthy. Cormac McCarthy called The Road. It is a post apocalyptic novel about a father and son basically trying to survive in this barren, dangerous world. And throughout the, the book, there's this metaphor that the, the son and the father are carrying the fire. We have to keep going, we can't stop because we are the ones carrying the fire. But the father in the novel is sick and dying. And here's a conversation between him and his son. The son says, I want to be with you. You can't. Please. You can't. You have to carry the fire. I don't know how to. Yes, you do. Is it real, the fire? Yes, it is. Where is it? I don't know where it is. Yes, you do. It's inside you. It was always there. I can see it. Now we know, as followers of Jesus, the fire is the good news of Christ. It's the Spirit of God that's inside of us. It's the light of Jesus that's shone into our darkness. It's the flame of the gospel that's come alive in our hearts. And it's as, as Jesus has commissioned us, like the Father to the Son, to say, Would you carry the fire? So as we finish this year, where is God calling you to carry the flame? Where is God calling you to recognize the light? Where is he asking you to bring your whole self to him? And maybe for the first time in surrender and repentance and humility to say, man, Jesus has had part of me but he has not had all of me. And I want the light to shine to my very core. Let's pray together. Father, we do give you thanks and we give you praise. The light of the world has come. That the light shines in the darkness. The darkness does not overcome it. So today, this very afternoon, we ask that the Holy Spirit would speak. What are those areas of darkness we need to let the light shine in? What are the areas of the darkness around us where we need to be that reflection of Christ to the world? Not as those who have figured it all out, but those who have humbly received the light and are willing to hand it to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.